We are in our second week of Advent, and um, we are, we're, we're working a bit backwards uh, this year. We're, well, we're following the lectionary, and it's, uh, we started out looking at Christ uh, giving his eschatological discourse of things to come. And so we started out looking at the second coming of Christ. And so we're going to work backwards and look at today the first coming or the paving of the way of Christ's coming, his ministry, the inauguration of his ministry. And so last week we, we looked at as Christ uh, paved, laid out the game plan. He, he, he explained to us all of the things to come, the things to look for uh, before his second coming. And in all of that, no matter what happens, all of the, uh, the turmoil that is coming, we can stand firm. He gave us several imperatives to stand up, to lift up our heads. Our redemption is near. And so, praise God. And so we don't need to worry about doomsday scenarios, digging bunkers in the uh, the, the, the earth and, and stockpiling canned goods and cheese and what have you. When all these things begin to happen, we know that the Lord is near. And so we can stand firm and knowing that he is coming and that we will be redeemed. He is, when, that blood was, when that blood was shed on that cross, our salvation was solidified for all those that would receive it. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So today we're going to um, look back, as I said, we're going to go backwards and we're going to look at the paving of the way, the paving of the way for Christ's ministry and mainly as we're talking about John the Baptist. And the question that I, I want you to, to ponder and that I hope to answer is, well, we know that John, he came to pave the way for the Lord, but how Exactly did he do that? We know he came preaching bapti- uh, preaching and repentance and baptism, but how did that actually pave the way? And so I hope to answer that question. And answering that question, I want to point to the deeper implications of that, what that implies for us. There's a correlation between John's ministry and what he did and what we are called to do today. Amen. Does that sound like a plan? So um, here in verse 1, as it reads, In the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Gali, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. Luke, he gives us, he, he really, in just this one verse, he paints a, a very vivid picture of what's going on at this time. Um, he doesn't quite do us any favors as to pinpoint the exact date of it as um, Tiberius Caesar. There's two dates that you can reference as to when he uh, began his reign. He actually shared power with Augustus Caesar. Uh, and so it's, it's a bit ambiguous as there, but we can... Um, we can narrow it down to about four years. Most scholars, they'll lean from 26 AD to 29. I, I lean more towards 28, 29. That puts Christ's ministry at about three and a half years. And so he, he, he's giving us this time frame. 
but also look at all these names that he mentions. If you would have been reading this at this time, this would have really struck you because all of these names, these tetrarchs, uh, these, are, these are some scoundrels. They really are. And the fact that they're tetrarchs, that says a lot about the state of affairs in Israel. A tetrarch, it means a, a ruler of fourths. Amen, amen. And so you have Israel being divided amongst these four territories. Now, mind you, this is just the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was exiled and they'd never returned. We refer to them now as the lost tribes of Israel. And so the southern kingdom had been divided into these fourths, but ultimately ruled over by Caesar, but under the oppression of these tetrarchs. And these, like I said, these were some scoundrels. If you've ever watched these dramas uh, about royal, um, how would you say, uh, like Tudors or Game of Thrones, anything dealing with those that are in power, vying for more power, cheating, lying, stealing, all that goes on in those scenarios. This is what was going on here. I mean, it was just a mess. And, and they, were, they, they, they were relentless in their oppression of the people. They, they, they were not. They were vying for power, vying to show that they were competent and they would not tolerate any kind of uprising or any kind of anything going on. And so they ruled with iron fist. Amen. And so Israel is in a sad state of affairs at this time. And on top of that, look at what he's saying here in verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, that, that, that tells you that the priesthood, the religious state of affairs is in turmoil as well because there were never two high priests. There was ever only one. One he served for life. And uh, the fact that there's two that just tells you that things are just, in a, that it's just a mess. And what happened was Rome, they, would, they, they, they stripped uh, Annas of his priestly duties and handed it to his son uh, Caiaphas because he was more pro-Rome. And so you have these two occupying this position, one in the official position, one that the Israel, Israel recognized as the, uh, the true high priest. So Israel is just in a sad state of affairs. And to look at it, it's no wonder why they were seeking and desiring relief. They were waiting and antis- anticipating the Messiah, hoping, watching expectantly. But the fact of the matter is, is that all that they're going through is what they desired. It's as if God has given them over to their own desires. When when God was their king, when they ruled under a, a theocracy, they rejected God and desired a man. They wanted a man king. And had God had Samuel appoint Saul as their king. God, he wanted to be their God, and yet they ran after all these false deities. Asherah, Dagon, the Baals, all of these false gods. And so here they have exactly, really, what they wanted all along. They have it all in one. They have this, 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 excuse me, this man God, this false God of a Caesar ruling over them. And they have all the gods that they could ever seek to worship under the Roman oppression. 
And so it's as if God has just given them to what they've wanted. They've they've gotten exactly what they've always wanted. Now notice here, in the midst of all of this, the, the, these tetrarchs, the Caesar, the, 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 the high priesthood is in, in turmoil. Look at what it says. The word of God came to John, son of, of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Who is this guy? I mean, we have the privilege of hindsight. Uh, but if you were reading this for the first time during this time, you would be like, well, what is that? Who is this guy? What is this guy going to do? How is that relevant to our situation? And John, he was, he was really, he wasn't, he wasn't an unsightly individual. He, he was a homeless man, a, a vagabond, a vagrant. He, he wandered the desert region, eating wild locusts and wild honey and locusts, eating bugs and wearing camel skins, a very unsightly individual but the word of God came to him and 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 for us we don't really need to read any further to know that something is about to happen something is about to be shaken because we know when the word of God moves forth things happen the heavens and the earth will shake when the word of God moves forth Amen. But here, this one man is in the crosshairs of all these, in the midst of all these different rulers. And we can see that he was obedient to the call. He was obedient to the call. And this is to say for us today is the word of God, when it comes to you, don't take that lightly. Do not take that lightly. There's a saying, and I'm sure you've heard this, that there's situations where somebody is talking to somebody and perhaps they're stepping a bit out of their, uh, their, their zone and they're, they're stepping a bit above their pay grade and they're speaking with a little bit of bass in their voice. And, they're, they, and the other person says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you know who you're talking to? understand who you're talking to well well when we're listening and hearing the word of God when the spirit is speaking to you you ought to know who's talking to you realize who is talking to you by the word of God things were birthed into existence scientists they explain this singular event this event where, where this grand explosion exploding outward at the speed of light with just tremendous heat moving and just light and uh, all of existence, mass, matter, time, all being birthed into existence because the word of God went forth when God said, let there be light. When God speaks, Things are birthed into existence that wouldn't otherwise be. Things are compelled into into existence. And so understand that when God speaks to you, when the word of God moves forth, do not take that lightly. Whether it be a whisper, an inkling, an intuition, a, a vision, however God chooses to deliver his message to you. 
Take heed to that. Stand firm on that. You don't know what God is about to do, the mountains that God is about to move, the the giants that God is about to slay. When the word of God moves forward, it is a mighty thing. Amen. But this was just one man. Just one man sent out in the midst of all of this that's going on. And it's written, he said, he went out into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah, the prophet. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now, this is what I was talking about. Well, how did this? This is what John came to do. He came preaching baptism and repentance. But how did this pave the way for the coming of Christ? Baptism was not a a foreign idea to Israel at this time. They didn't actually do it. They imposed it on the Gentiles. Um, If you were anything other than a Jew, you were a Gentile. You were unclean. You were the filth of the earth, a scoundrel, what have you. And so the pro, they would call these that would want to come into Judaism, these converts, these proselytes, they would have them, they would baptize them because they were filthy. They, they, they looked at them as they were the filth of the earth and they needed to be cleansed before they would come into this, this faith. They would baptize them and then have them recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so this was a, I mean, you could imagine if, if you came to church and somebody said, wait a minute, you, are you a believer? No. Okay, well, you need, to, you need to wash. You need to go and wash thoroughly. We need to spray you down with disinfectant and, and, and really thoroughly cleanse you before you can even come in here. This is kind of what they were saying when they did this. But look at what he's doing here. He came practicing and preaching this baptism of repentance and baptizing. And and what this meant was that these were Jews coming and willfully baptizing, being baptized. They were putting themselves in this position of humility that was they were they were practicing this 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 baptism that was reserved for these gentiles does that make sense do you see where what what that is to do that to to humble yourself in a position that you otherwise look down on they were putting themselves into this perfect posture for repentance understanding that their situation and understanding that they themselves were no better than anyone else that they were broken, that they needed themselves to be washed, to be cleansed. And so this is what I see John has done is he's brought them down to the level. As they're so eagerly and waiting for a Messiah to come to, to liberate them from this situation that they're living in. And it was as if they were willing to do anything and everything to be liberated. And John brought them to the level to be baptized, to put themselves down, to say that I am dirty. I am just as the Gentiles are. I need myself to be washed, to be cleansed, and then to repent, to turn from their wayward ways. 
This was the perfect posture of repentance, not just this ritual act. It's kind of lost its meaning today as people. We do this and it's just, it's just a, something that we do. It's, you, you just do that. That's the thing to do. You have to do that. You have to check the mark. But this required a lot of humility for them to do this. And this is what God had been trying to get them, preaching through the prophets to get them to realize. He spoke about this through the prophet Joel. He said, come to me with all of your heart, with mourning and, and, and just humility. Come to me, rend your hearts and not your garments. Away with this senseless religion and, and just the monotony of just this mundane and, and routine rituals that you perform. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And I know we, we see this today, and this is the implication, the, the application for us today, because I know we see people out on the corners. You've seen believers out on the corners, they hold up these signs, you know, turn or burn, repent or go to hell. I mean, this is what the prophets were saying all along. Repent. But the, 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 the question is, is that, well, if you are repenting, you're doing this turning about. You're turning. But if you have no way of knowing where to turn to, then you're right back in the same mess that you turned away from. If I am totally depraved, if I am a sinner and you tell me to turn from the mess that I'm in, and I say, okay, well, I'll do that, and I turn right back around, I'm still in the same mess that I was. If we tell them to repent, it does absolutely nothing if we don't tell them who to turn to. There has to be an external force, an entity that will pull us out from the mess that we are in. There has to be a savior. There has to be one to pull us out. We can't figure this out on our own. And this is where Israel was, as they had tried and done all that they could, but to no avail. They could not avail. And they were looking for someone else to come and pull them out of the mess that they were in. And so as we witness, we're not just telling people what to do. We are paving the way, pointing them to Christ because it does absolutely nothing if we just tell them to repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop doing that. Don't do this or don't do that or you need to do this. If we're not telling them about Jesus Christ, if we're not pointing them to the Lord and Savior, it does absolutely nothing. They need to know who to turn to. Amen. Israel, they were so desperate for a Messiah. So oppressed. Their their, their priesthood, it was corrupted from the very top. Just a sad state of affairs. And this, is, I, this, this added to that component of their humility. They knew they were just in a, a state of depravity. John prepared the way for the people to come by putting them into this perfect posture for repentance. That they would see and look at themselves and understand that, no, I need someone else. I can't do it by myself. 
We need a savior. We need the Messiah. And this is who they were looking for. They were so eagerly, expectantly waiting for the Messiah to come. This is how I see him paving the way for Christ to come. Paving the way by putting them into this posture to repent. Putting them in this posture of humility. Coming to look at themselves as the sinners that they were. Amen. It's written. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. All people will see God's salvation. The downtrodden, the hopeless, the oppressed, the proud, the, the famous, the, the ambitious, the broken, the bewildered, the battered, all. No matter how far you've gone or how short you've come, no matter how much good you've tried to do, regardless of all the sinning that you've indulged in. The blood cleanses us all. We're all, when we choose to bring ourselves low and to be humbled, to acknowledge that we are broken, that we are in desperate need of a savior, we are all cleansed by the blood. We are all in need of cleansing. Amen. We are all in need of a Savior. We can't do it ourselves. We can't save ourselves. The world cannot save itself. The way they, they try and try and try, it cannot save itself. The only answer is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by the Son. There is no other way. Amen. We have to point them to Christ. We pave the way for Christ by pointing to Him and by showing the world who we are as being the inhabiting body of the Spirit of God. Amen. We are called to be the body of Christ. Let us be the body of Christ, especially in this season. As This time has been so confused of everything else other than what the season is meant for. Let us demonstrate the love of Christ to the world. Let us point them to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for, I just thank you. I pray it fall not on deaf ears. I pray your spirit, you know, motivate us, O oh Lord. Come within us and just ignite a fire up under us that we would be the people that you called us to be. May we not be boastful or proud or thinking that, that because we call on your name, we are somebody special other than anyone on this planet. Lord, instill within us a sense of just to share your word, to bear fruit for your kingdom, Lord, may we turn them to you. May we turn this world to you. May we be the light that you've called us to be. If there be anyone here or anyone at home watching right now or 20 years into the future, whenever you've seen this, 
If you've said to yourself that I've tried and I've tried and you're just in a, a place of just giving up. You don't know anywhere else to go. You don't know what else to do. You've tried this and you've tried that and nothing seems to work. I want you to try Jesus Christ. I want you to call on the name of the Lord. I want you to say, I want to, in your own words, or if you want to repeat after me, oh God, I'm a sinner. I, I, I've tried it my way and I can't do it. I, I just can't. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go a day on by myself. I need you, oh God. Won't you come into my heart? I give my life to you. I surrender it to you. Use me, oh God. Show me the way that I ought to go. I don't want to continue on this way. If you said that prayer, I want to pray for you. I want you to reach out. I want you to find somebody that is a believer. I want to, we want to come beside you. We want to lift you up. We want to pray for you. We want to walk with you. We, want to just, we just want to bless you. Oh, Lord. Have your way. May we bear fruit for your kingdom. May we, there are souls at stake, your children that are at stake, and set a fire up under us that we would be the people that you've called us to be, to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to serve you, to, to be in the body of Christ. We thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.